It is good to be with you this morning. It is always good to gather as the Lord's people to worship the Lord together. Don't assume the gospel. I don't remember the first time I heard this many years ago, but that advice has stuck with me. Don't assume the gospel. The meaning of that advice is this. Just because someone professes to be a Christian, don't assume that they have a right understanding of the true gospel. Instead, ask questions and help to teach and to explain the gospel to ensure that even those who profess to be Christians know the gospel. In 2017, Pew Research Center conducted a poll of U.S. Protestants regarding their beliefs. The poll revealed that 52% of Protestants believe that both good deeds and faith are necessary for salvation. It's to be a little disconnect between what the Protestant reformers worked for, what people who are Protestants today believe. 52% of those who identify as Protestants do not affirm or seem to understand the central tenet that ignited and fueled the Protestant Reformation. But while the Reformers contended for the faith and taught the Scriptures in a way that was profoundly helpful, we need to remember that they are not our ultimate and final standard by which to evaluate truth. As a matter of fact, they made that very point. We began a new sermon series last week going through the book of Galatians, and today we will be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Last week, we learned that Galatians was originally a letter written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a group of churches in the southern city of the Roman province of Galatia, which is present-day Turkey. The occasion for the letter was that Paul had heard that the churches in Galatia had a serious problem. False teachers infiltrated the churches shortly after Paul's departure and were leading the Galatians away from the glorious truth of the gospel. They taught that a person is saved by faith in Jesus and obedience to the law of God. Paul wanted the Galatians to reject any notion of works-based justification. Instead, he wanted them to keep in in belief and practice, enjoying the incredible freedom that we have in Jesus Christ as we live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we will see in our passage this morning is that Paul spoke about the gospel in a way that might remind us of a plumb line. Consider this quote. A plumb line is a cord with a non-magnetic weight attached to one end. When the cord is held in such a way that the weight can dangle freely, an exact vertical can be determined. Painters and carpenters use plumb lines to keep their work straight. It is difficult, while in the middle of a project, to determine a true horizontal or vertical line without an objective measuring tool, so a plumb line is employed. A plumb line applies the law of gravity to find right angles, to indicate the most direct route from top to bottom, and to keep things plumb. A plumb line doesn't change or move with the whims of the carpenter. It remains true, and all work must line up with it or risk being crooked. 
the Christians in Galatia had gotten out of whack. Their beliefs had become crooked, threatening the health and stability of their churches. And Paul wrote to bring the plumb line of the gospel to bear on these churches. As we read these verses, we will be reminded that the gospel of Jesus Christ, as revealed in scriptures by Jesus and his apostles, is our ultimate and final authority for what is true. The gospel is our plumb line, if you will. And if the Pew survey is any indication, then clearly we need to bring the plumb line of the gospel to bear in our own time. Let's read Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In several of his letters, Paul began with a warm introduction expressing gratitude for the recipients and even commending them for their faith. But we do not see that here in this letter. Paul's intro was short, and then he got right to the point. There was no sugarcoating the fact that he was upset with what was taking place in those congregations. Someone had come to the congregations Paul helped establish in those cities and taught in such a way to distort the gospel of Christ. He said he was astonished. He was amazed, shocked, bewildered. He could hardly believe the churches in southern Galatia were turning from the gospel he had clearly proclaimed to them and instead were affirming distortions of the gospel. He was probably shocked because not much time had passed from his visit there, where despite hostile opposition, he saw tremendous fruit from his preaching of the gospel. Listen to some of the highlights of their success from his ministry in Galatia, which we read about in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Acts 13.43, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. 13.48 and 49, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternity. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. 14.1, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. 1421, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. We see in these verses that when Paul and his companions traveled to these cities in southern Galatia, they had great success When they preached the gospel, meaning they saw many people come to faith in Christ. They made many disciples. While he clearly faced hostile opposition during his time in Galatia, the church was made up of many people who had received him and believed the gospel. But a year or two later, while Paul was in a different region, 
a report had been delivered to him that the disciples in Galatia were turning to a different gospel. In response, he was quick to point out to the Galatians that a different gospel was really no gospel at all. There is no other gospel. When Jesus began his public ministry, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came into the world proclaiming the gospel and he commissioned the apostles to proclaim the gospel after his death, resurrection, and ascension. The gospel which Jesus announced and the apostles proclaimed is not open to change or variations. The gospel is not subject to the whims or preferences of any man. Paul said any distortion of the gospel is not in fact good news. We are not free to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we like and reject the parts we don't like. When we do this, we are putting ourselves in a position of authority over the scripture. And friends, we are not qualified to do this. Pastor Mike Bullmore tells the tale of a man who traveled to the Louvre in Paris to see famous pieces of art firsthand. And as he stood in front of the Mona Lisa, which is always under guard, he played the part of an art critic. He took his time looking at the piece from several different angles before declaring, I don't like it. To which the guard replied, Sir, these paintings are no longer being judged. The viewers are. The Mona Lisa, established as a beautiful work of art, was no longer subject to the opinions of someone like this guy. Rather, this guy's opinions revealed, his opinions about Mona Lisa revealed more about him than the painting. See, the scripture is God's word. The gospel has been declared. Our opinions and perspectives of the gospel do not reveal things about the gospel, but reveal things about us. There is one true gospel. We are not to sit in judgment of the gospel to determine if we like it or if we prefer a different gospel. We are not free to make changes to the gospel to better suit our sensibilities. I hope the point is impressed upon us here that if there is no other gospel, then we need to be clear on what the gospel is. If someone asked you to explain the gospel, are you confident that you could answer in a way that is clear and faithful to Scripture? How would you answer the question, what is the gospel. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed and that he commissioned his apostles to proclaim is the good news regarding how God saves sinners in Jesus Christ. Greg Gilbert notes, since the earliest Christians announced the good news about Jesus, it has been organized around these questions. Who made us and to whom are we accountable? What is our problem? What is God's solution to our problem? How can I be included in his solution? He goes on to say, Christians through the centuries since Christ have, been, have answered those questions with the same truth from the Bible. We are accountable to God. Our problem is our sin against him. God's solution is salvation through Jesus Christ. We come to be included in that salvation by faith and repentance. If you want a shorthand way of thinking about this or remembering about this, you can think of it in terms of God, man, Christ, 
response. God is our creator. He is holy, loving, and just. He is the judge of every one. Man, both male and female, is made in the image of God. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation, and therefore every person possesses value, dignity, and worth in the eyes of the Lord. Yet we have all sinned against the Lord, and so the image of God, though still present, has been marred in each and every one of us. And our sin puts us at enmity with God. We are by nature sinners, and we act according to our nature. We are deserving of God's judgment. But God in his mercy has provided a way for us to be saved. And he did so by sending Jesus Christ into the world as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And Jesus Christ lived a life without sin, which we failed to live. And because he lived a life without sin, he was able to be the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, taking the punishment we deserve in our place as our substitute. At the cross, Jesus died for us taking God's wrath in our place. And he rose from the grave, conquering death. And he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And the good news is that everyone who repents of their sins and believes in Jesus will be saved. So that when he returns, once and for all, to judge the living and the dead, we who believe in him will be welcomed into his glorious kingdom. Not because of our good works, but because of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. If the gospel is unclear in your mind, I encourage you to meditate on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. These verses give us the language of the gospel. Let me read to you Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, where Paul wrote, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. These verses, along with many others, Help us to understand the heart of the gospel. Help us to understand to whom we are accountable. Help us understand what our problem truly is. Help us understand God's solution to that problem and how we can be included in that solution. Brothers and sisters, if the gospel is not clear in your mind, or if you have doubts that you can articulate the gospel clearly to another person, I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to meditate on these verses. I also want to encourage you to take this resource, which I just referenced. It's by Greg Gilford, Gilbert. It's just a little 
pamphlet where he explains the gospel in succinct fashion. We have these on the table in the back there or by the table going out the door. Take one of these. Read through it. Ensure that the gospel is clear in your mind. If you were to be put on the spot and asked by someone, what is the gospel? Be ready. Be equipped. Take one of those. Read it. Meditate on it. Meditate on the scriptures that help you to understand the truth of the gospel. In Galatia, the false teachers were adding works of the law as necessary for salvation. They were saying, yes, you can belong to the people of God by believing in Jesus and by being circumcised. And do you see the weight of distorting the gospel in verse 6? Distorting the gospel is not believing in Jesus, but with a slightly different perspective. Believing a, a distortion of the gospel is tantamount to deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. The Greek word translated as deserting speaks to abandoning one's loyalty to or to transfer one's allegiance from. You see, believing the gospel as the Lord has revealed it to us in the scriptures is not merely about holding the correct set of beliefs. For if you affirm a distortion of the gospel, brothers and sisters, you don't merely lose the correct set of beliefs. You lose Jesus. To turn to a different gospel is to abandon your loyalty to Jesus. It's to transfer your allegiance from him to another. Turning from the gospel is forsaking the grace of Christ. You lose Jesus and all the wonderful benefits to be found in the gospel. And the benefits that we receive through the gospel as followers of Christ are many and they are rich in light of what was at stake Paul was urgent he wrote to them with a sense of urgency he got right to the point perhaps they were confused perhaps there was still time to catch this error perhaps he could persuade them before they went off the cliff a lot was at stake, and Paul was urgent. He was surprised by the Galatians, but he was indignant when it came to the false teachers. He pronounced a solemn curse on anyone who preached a gospel contrary to the one Paul had preached to them. The gospel that he had proclaimed was true and trustworthy, and they were not to be dissuaded from believing it, even if an angel appeared and preach something contrary. He said, let them be accursed. And what is even more amazing is that Paul included himself among those who ought to be accursed if they preached a contrary gospel. In regard to the content of his preaching, Paul had authority to preach the true gospel, and he only had authority to preach the true gospel. Jesus gave him authority to proclaim his message, but his authority was delegated and limited. He had authority to preach the gospel message but not change the gospel message one iota. So when Paul said, if anyone pre preaches a gospel contrary, let him be accursed, he was not speaking to a personal vendetta that he had with these false teachers. It was about the truth. It was about the truth of the gospel. 
It wasn't about a personal vendetta because he's saying, even if I do that, then you should reject me. You see, his aim was for them to embrace the true gospel and not receive any teacher who distorted the true gospel. The apostolic gospel is the plumb line for every preacher and for every church. Without faithful gospel preaching, a church will not be sound and will not be healthy. In rebuking the Galatians, he seemed to impress upon these congregations their responsibility to reject false teachers. He wrote this letter not only to the elders of these churches, but to all the members of these congregations. He wanted the members to be involved in safeguarding the gospel in their churches. An important question then is, how do we seek to equip and enable our church to fulfill that responsibility? How do we as a church, as members of Restoration Road Church, work together to fulfill that responsibility to safeguard the gospel? Well, first, we are an elder-led congregational church. In my sermon a few weeks ago, we saw in Scripture that local churches are led by a plurality of elders, by multiple elders. We also saw that the words used to describe the work of the elders include shepherd, teach, preach, instruct, rule, oversee, and care. Elders are expected to provide leadership for local churches by doing this type of work, by leading, shepherding, guiding, guarding, faithfully preaching and teaching the gospel and helping to apply the gospel to the lives of the members of the church. At the same time, we desire to have a church polity or a form of governance that allows the members to fulfill their responsibility to help guard the gospel, which is where the congregational part comes in. And here is how that works. Regarding a particular set of matters, the members of the church have the final say by way of voting. Now, we do not vote on everything. We're not going to vote on the paint, the color of the paint, or the carpet, or things like that. The purpose of being an elder-led congregational church is that not so that everyone can have a say on everything. Membership of a local church is much different than membership to a gym or membership to Costco. See, with those, you pay your dues and you get benefits. And when you become a member of a local church, you are signing up to fulfill the responsibility that the Lord has given you as a member of Christ's body. Yes, there are benefits. There are benefits to being a member. There are benefits to the care you receive. But it's also about doing an important job. Being a member of a local church comes with important responsibilities. And so there are things that we vote on, particular things that help you, as a member of this church, fulfill your responsibility before the Lord. We vote on things to help guard the gospel. So members vote on elders. Members vote on other members. When someone wants to become a member, they can only become a member if the existing members approve. We vote on member resignations. When a member resigns their membership, 
The members have the final say to receive that resignation. If we ever wanted to change our statement of faith, the members would have to vote to approve that. So we have ways which members of the church can help fulfill their responsibilities. We don't vote on everything, but we vote on the things that help members fulfill their obligations before the Lord to help safeguard the gospel. Lord willing, in a healthy elder-led congregational church, the elders will lead in submission to God's word, faithfully preaching and teaching the gospel, and the members will joyfully follow in their example, working together to safeguard the gospel in the life of a church. In addition to our church polity, we seek to equip our members to fulfill their responsibility through our membership process. Anyone who wants to become a member must take our Road 101 membership class, whereby we unpack the gospel. We talk about the nature of the church and what it means to be a member. We talk about our doctrine and our ministry so that everyone who becomes a member has an understanding of the gospel and our statement of faith. And then we have an elder interview where an elder interviews the member and gets to hear how they came to fight faith in Christ, and gets to hear their profession of faith, and also gives them an opportunity to share the gospel in their own words. It's not a test, but it's an opportunity to equip every member to understand and articulate the gospel. We do our very best before presenting someone to the members for membership to ensure that they are truly a believer who understands and believes the gospel. I hope you see the intentionality behind everything we do. There are very clear and important reasons why our church polity and governance is the way it is. There are very clear and significant reasons why our membership process is the way it is. It's not as though the Bible says, here's how you need to do your membership process. But what we see in the scripture is the nature of the church, what it means to be a member of a church, and the responsibilities that are placed upon members. And so therefore, we structure things and organize things in a way that helps every member fulfill their responsibility before the Lord. I hope you see the intentionality behind our polity, behind our membership class, behind our member meetings, and all of these things. We don't do these things just to up a box. We don't just do it because that's the way that's always been done. We don't do these things merely to honor tradition. We have reasons behind these things, specific reasons that ultimately help every member participate in the work of safeguarding the gospel to the glory of God. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, we see that the congregations throughout southern Galatia failed to guard the gospel. And because of this, Paul needed to bring a strong word of rebuke, even if it made some people unhappy. In verse 10, he said, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It seems as though some of Paul's detractors in Galatia accused him of being a man-pleaser who suited his message to please his audience. But clearly, in the opening words of his letter, he was not trying to please man. If he were trying to please man and make friends, he would not have accused the Galatians of deserting the Lord and turning to a different gospel. Nor would he utter a curse on anyone who preached a contrary gospel. He would not have used such strong language 
that ran the risk of being offensive if he was seeking the approval of man. No, he was a servant of Christ, and therefore he proclaimed the truth clearly and boldly, even when it was costly. As a servant of Christ, he was compelled to refute the false teachers and warn the Galatians emphatically and urgently. And there, are, there were at least two reasons why he needed to do so. First, for the glory of Christ. These, the teaching of these false teachers robbed Christ of his glory because their teaching, through their teaching, they essentially said, the finished work of Christ on the cross is not enough to save you. You have to add to the work of Christ in order to be saved. You have to add obedience to the law in order to truly be a Christian. That robs Christ of his glory because what that says is what he did for us on the cross is not enough to save you. You have to help save yourself. And that is absolutely false. What Christ did is sufficient. His finished work upon the cross is sufficient to save us. We do not put our trust in ourselves or in anyone else for our salvation, but we trust in Christ and Christ alone. So first, Paul had to contend for the truth of the gospel for the glory of Christ. And secondly, for the sake of the Galatians, for the sake of their souls. He needed to refute the false teaching so that they would not be led astray, so they would not shipwreck their faith. He contended for the gospel, for the good of these people. He wrote the letter as a servant of Jesus, refuting false teaching, upholding the truth of the gospel, to preserve the faith of the churches in Galatia for the glory of Christ. Let me ask a few questions. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have been called in the grace of Christ? If you are not a Christian, oh, our hope for you is that you will know the gospel, that you will believe the gospel, and that you will be saved. You see, you have a problem. It's the same problem that we all have. We've sinned against God, to whom we are accountable. God in his mercy has provided a way for you to be saved by sending Jesus Christ into the world to die for your sins, and he rose from the grave, conquering death, to give you eternal life. Friend, if you're not a Christian, believe in Jesus and be saved. Do not waste another day. Let today be the day of salvation. We would love to talk to you about the gospel, about becoming a Christian. But more than anything, we hope that you will believe in Christ and be saved. If you are a Christian... I hope this passage of scripture will encourage you to grow in your understanding of the gospel as well as your ability to articulate the gospel. How well do you know the gospel? How well are you able to articulate the gospel? Again, I want to encourage you to apply these scriptures, to read these scriptures, to meditate on these scriptures, and take the resources that we have available to help you grow in your knowledge and understanding of the gospel by applying yourself to this work you are helping to safeguard the gospel in our own church. By knowing the true gospel, you are better equipped to detect any false gospel. 
And one of the most important ways you can help to self, uh, safeguard the gospel is through meaningful relationships and personal conversations. We want our church to be full of loving relationships between fellow members whereby we know each other and are known, where we're able to talk about our faith. And it's through these conversations that you're, help, you're able to help bring the plumb line of the gospel to bear. You're, help, you're able to help uh, your brothers and sisters better understand the gospel and rightly apply the gospel and also detect any false gospels. You have a responsibility. You have a job to do. It's a wonderful job, a glorious job. Are you equipped to do this job? And finally, I want to say this. Another way I believe we safeguard the gospel is by enjoying the benefits and privileges that we have in the gospel. In his little book called A Gospel Primer for Christians, Milton Vincent writes, God did not give us his gospel just so we could embrace it and be converted. Actually, he offers it to us every day as a gift that keeps on giving to us everything we need for life and godliness. The wise believer learns this truth early and becomes proficient in extracting available benefits from the gospel each day. We extract these benefits by being absorbed in the gospel, speaking it to ourselves when necessary, and by daring to reckon it true in all we do. God's gifts are all of grace, and there is nothing we can do to earn them. However, the wise believer will make sure he is positioning himself in the spot where God's gracious gifts are located. And the scripture teaches that all such gifts are located inside the gospel. In part one of his little book, he gives 30 reasons, 30 reasons to rehearse the gospel daily. And I want to share with you one of those reasons that I think is particularly relevant for our study of Galatians. It's reason number nine called resting in Christ's righteousness. He says, the gospel encourages me to rest in my righteous standing with God, a standing which Christ himself has accomplished and always maintains for me. I never have to do a moment's labor to gain or maintain my justified status before God. Freed from the burden of such a task, I now can put my energies into enjoying God, pursuing holiness, and ministering God's amazing grace to others. The gospel also reminds me that my righteous standing with God always holds firm regardless of my performance because my standing is based solely on the work of Jesus and not mine. On my worst days of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace toward me. On my best days of victory and usefulness, the gospel keeps me relating to God solely on the basis of Jesus' righteousness and not mine. Oh, that is good news for us. That is good news for our souls that we, needed to be remind, we need to be reminded of on a daily basis. So brothers and sisters, how often do you meditate on and rehearse the truths of the gospel for the sake of your own heart? How often do you remind yourself that Christ has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and future? How often do you remind yourself that in Christ Jesus, God has adopted you into his family, and he is now your loving heavenly father who does not merely tolerate you, 
No, he delights in you. He rejoices over you. How often do you remind yourself that in the gospel, Jesus Christ is with you. His presence is with you continually through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You are never alone on your darkest days. He is with you. How often do you remind yourself that even in the midst of trials, God is working all things for your good? Even in your sorrows and heartaches, even in your pain and anguish, somehow, some way, the Lord is working these things for your good. And we know this because the gospel is true. How often do you remind yourselves of your glorious future with Christ? How often do you remind yourself that because the gospel is true, the world in its present form is the closest you will ever get to hell? You have a future with him in his glorious kingdom where he will remove sin once and for all. He will remove sorrow and pain and heartache. He will remove death, you have a future that is guaranteed with him in his kingdom because of the gospel. Oh, brothers and sisters, one of the best ways we can safeguard the gospel in our lives and in our church is by enjoying all of the wonderful benefits of the gospel. The gospel Paul proclaimed is true. Believe it, savor it, and safeguard it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is good. We humbly ask that we will be people who are shaped by your word, shaped by your gospel. We pray that you will bring the plumb line of the gospel to bear in our lives and in our church. We pray that you would strengthen our faith in the gospel. We pray that we will dare to reckon that it is all true. We pray that we will be people who believe the gospel, who savor the gospel, who safeguard the gospel. We do pray this in Christ's name. Amen.